square. Again, we pull the story guests with us today. We welcome you this sheet from the testimony from some of our people. This is the greatest thing in all the world. It's great. We kind of see the thought pattern. What's going on here? The testimony of some of our other people is this is the worst thing in the world because they cannot listen and look at the Bible and write and all that. So you folks were guests, you know what? I, I would encourage you to try to take some notes. I mean, there's lots of studies that go on and talk about how we can recall a lot of what we write and not much of what we hear. So that's really part of the design. We're not just here to fill a time slot on a Sunday morning. We're here to get something from God that can work inside of our life. So, but listen, you do with that whatever works best for you. But don't drive yourself crazy here, okay? But uh, Revelation chapter 19, if you're not already there, and what we've been calling to this as we move into this incredible chapter is the greatest event in human history. And we began to look last week into what this event actually is and what we find in Revelation chapter 19. If you look at the, the end of verse 6, it is that time when the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. It's when He has finally come to this planet and established His kingdom on the earth and every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's event in human history. And last week we began to look at the reasons why. And we just kind of stepped back from Revelation 19 and tried to put it into the whole of the Bible, into the whole context of what the Word of God says. And we saw that, first of all, this event is the event to which all of God's Word is pointing. It's the event to which all of God's Word is pointing. And I wish for you folks who are our guests here today, I wish we had the time to really work this the way that it deserves to be worked. But just for you folks, just to begin to at least understand what that point really is about. When the Bible opens historically now, I mean, if you're going to go back and find in the Word of God, the first thing that you can actually find historically, what you're going to find is that the Bible begins with a battle over a throne. Lucifer, the anointed cherub, wants the place of God. He wants to sit where God sits. It begins with a battle over a throne. And when you come to Revelation 19, as the Bible is just wrapping it all up, you know how it ends? It ends with somebody sitting on a throne. And if you really want to know what's going on from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it's all about this battle between those two thrones. We looked chronologically last week. We went to the book of Genesis, and we began to see that the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning were the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. And God had most definitely established that pattern of the evening and the morning being that which comprises a day. But when He came to the seventh day, the Bible makes no record of the evening and the morning, but rather what it says is that God rested on that seventh day, and he blessed that day, and he sanctified sanctified that day. That is, he took that day, and he set that one apart to himself, and he said, that's 
my day. And what you begin to see is the Bible tells us over in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Now, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that a day is as a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years as a day. And if you go plug that equation into that first week in Genesis, what God appears to be spelling out is there will be 6,000 years of human history. But watch that seventh day. That seventh day is a thousand-year day that has no evening or morning because the Lamb is the light. It's the day that God is looking for because it's the day when His Son finally sits on His throne on the earth and rules and reigns on this planet in that thousand-year day that we call the millennium. And again, if you look at the beginning of the Bible, you look at the end of the Bible, you look how this thing starts, what God has just threw out the whole thing, what He's spelling out for you is my day is going to come. And we can go through chapter by chapter, book by book. In fact, I, I had planned to just kind of take you to some places by way of review, but we've got too much ground to cover for us to do it. But understand this. This event that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 19 is the event to which all of God's Word is pointing. It's pointing to Revelation chapter 19. Secondly, we saw last week that it is the event for which all of God's people are praying. It's the event for which all of God's people are praying. And now this should be the reality because when Jesus was here, we looked in Luke chapter 11 last week, and what we began to see is that when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us how to approach the Father. He taught us how to worship Him. And he, he, he reminded us of the relationship that we have as, as we come to Him. But the first request of prayer, the first thing that He actually taught us to actually ask God for is for the kingdom to come. For that time when His will will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. God says, I want you as my child, I want you to be constantly praying for that event to take place. Now, if that's the first thing that God taught us to be asking Him, then it would just stand to reason that we would do it. Now, I just want to ask you something. A lot of folks in this room, you've known this truth for about a decade now. Last week, we bam, we hit that thing in a whole new way. For some of you, it was a whole new truth. And I'm just asking you right now, don't raise your hand, don't say amen, don't nod your head real big. Did you pray this week for His kingdom to come? And you remember why we saw that that was so important? Because that is the time when Jesus Christ will finally get the glory that He deserves and... He will not get that glory until the kingdom comes. So you see, it becomes very, very selfish of us to just want our little life to go our merry little way and everything be all put together in our little life and not give two flips about what is really taking place as far as God is concerned today. Because today, on the quote-unquote Lord's Day, the days that are aside for worship all over the globe, do you realize His name has been 
blasphemed. His name has been defamed. It has been defiled. It has been denied. Billions and billions and billions of people actually flipping God off. And we've got to be real careful that as long as our little life is going all right, we are happy campers. And you know what happens to us as we are real happy campers down here on the earth? We really don't want him to come because it's going to mess up what we got going on down here in our little kingdom. But you see, for God's people that really know him and really love him, you cannot be satisfied on this planet because you see yourself as, as Hebrews chapter 11 talks about. You see yourself as a pilgrim. You see yourself as a sojourner here. You can't put roots in here. You, you can't get totally happy here. Because you know that the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is being blasphemed, it's being reproached, which causes us as God's people to cry out for that time when the kingdom comes. And we didn't hit on this last week. Let me just, let me just say this. Do you realize that God's people have been praying this for the last 2,000 years? And generation after generation after generation of those people lived, prayed, and died and never had their prayers answered? The kingdom didn't come. But you know what? It did. Because you know what happens with every person that genuinely has a passion burning in their heart for Him to get the glory that He deserves and are genuinely, not just saying the words of a prayer, but are genuinely praying for His kingdom to come. You know what happens to them? The kingdom comes in them. And what happens is Jesus does take His rule and His reign on the earth in the individual believer. And His will is carried out on earth as it is in heaven. And He answers the prayer. And you know what else? What it says in the book of Revelation, we've already seen this, is what He does is He bottles up the prayers of the saints. And you know what He's going to use to actually fulfill his plan in Revelation 19, when heaven opens and he comes down, you know what he's going to use to be the thing that actually sets up the kingdom? You got it. The prayers of the saints that have been bottled up there for century after century after century. I just wonder, if the rapture took place today and we're all out of here and all the cards have been played, how many prayers do you have actually bottled up in there praying for the kingdom to come so this is the event to which all of God's word is pointing it's the event for which all of God's people are praying and then we we saw here in Revelation chapter 19 it is the event at which all of God's hosts will be praising it's the event at which all of God's hosts will be praising. And we began to see, as in heaven, the hallelujah chorus breaks out. And that's what this chapter is really all about. It's the hallelujah or the hallelujah chorus in heaven. And it shows us 
praising God, and, and we see here why we are actually, as God's host, why we will be praising Him. Letter A, we will praise Him because His salvation has been fully exemplified. Because His salvation has been fully exemplified. And we saw last week that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, that if any man be in Christ, he is a what, y'all? He's a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become all things are become new. And we saw that in our soul and in our spirit, that is a reality. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and call on Him and Him alone to be our Lord, to be our Savior, to remove our sin, confessing that there is no other hope that we have but in Him, what happens is He takes our dead spirit and He moves into our dead spirit by His Spirit to bring it to life and our soul and our spirit is something new. It is there, What has taken place is there has been a transformation But what we saw is that nothing happened at the point of our salvation to our body. But part of God's salvation plan is to make this body new. And one of these days when the trumpet sounds and we'll be removed, or if we die and they plant us into the ground, when that trumpet sounds, what's going to happen is these earthly bodies that we live in are going to be transformed, as Paul said in the book of Philippians, they are going to be changed, these vile bodies will be changed to be like unto His glorious body. There's something that we're waiting for. There's another manifestation. There's something else in this salvation that needs to be exemplified. And what it is, is the transformation of our bodies. The glorification of of our bodies and we began to see the reason that we have the difficulty that we have with this thing that is called sin is because we're trapped in this earth suit that we call a body and this thing has it it torments us It, it, it pulls us down while our soul and spirit is wanting to seek the things which are above we're living in these bodies that are constantly wanting to pull us down into this earthly carnal realm And what we see here in Revelation chapter 19 is that time when salvation has been fully exemplified, when we have had our bodies transformed and glorified by God. And that's why, look in Revelation chapter 19, after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, praise the Lord, in other words, praise Jehovah. Here it is, salvation! and glory, and honor, and power unto the Lord our God. And here we are praising Him for the salvation that He has made complete. We we saw in Romans chapter 8 that if you really know God, listen, not only, not only are you praying for His kingdom to come, for that time for Him to get the glory that He deserves, but Romans chapter 8 says we're doing something else. We're not just longing for that kingdom to come. What we're doing is we're groaning inside of ourselves as we await the full manifestation of the sons of God, the adoption of sons, he says, the redemption of the body. We talked about that last week. I'm asking you right now. Do you know any more of his groaning this week? than you did last week before we covered that ground? 
hey, guys, listen. This is not time for us to just fill our minds with understanding. This is time for us to become who He made us. And listen, what He wants us doing as we await His coming, as we await the greatest event in human history, is He wants us praising Him now and giving Him the glory now that we'll give Him then because of what He's going to do. Our salvation will be fully exemplified and at that point we praise Him. Letter B. We will praise Him because His justice has been fully executed. Not only do we praise Him because His salvation has been fully exemplified, but we'll praise Him because His justice has been fully executed. Look at verse 2. For true and righteous are His judgments. And understand that these are your words now. Do you understand that? These are not John's words. This isn't just some, some angels up there. This is us, y'all. All of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. These are our words. We're praising Him for that salvation in verse 1. And now, we're praising Him in verse 2. We say, For true and righteous are His judgments, for He hath judged the great whore. And we saw her in chapter 17, and the further expression of her in chapter 18 which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, and again this is us, y'all, Alleluia, praise the Lord. And her smoke, that is of the great whore, rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts, now, that's us specifically. Now, we're tied in with all of the heavenly hosts to this point, but now John says specifically, the four and twenty elders, that's the church, and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And, and uh, you, you got to understand what's going on here, y'all. We finally see that God is making all things right on this planet. And because we've been waiting for it down here and we've been praying for it down here. We see it actually taking place in heaven. We see that taking place on the earth and we, we fall down. Yes! That's what amen means. Yes! It, it, it literally means, so be it! Yes! And we follow the yes with hallelujah. Which means it's about time. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can I take you back to Isaiah for just a sec to a real familiar passage that because of some of the other implications of this passage, we don't always see this in it. But now understand as you're turning. Now, now don't just flake out on me. Listen. All of God's people through the centuries. Are you listening? All of God's people through the centuries have been greatly disturbed by the inequity, by the injustice that takes place on this planet. And there's a lot of it, isn't there? I mean, how many times have we said in this study of the book of Revelation, it's a good thing that we ain't God. 
because we had already done it. And God will. But all of God's people have had something that gnaws on the inside about the inequities and the injustices and the unrighteousness that is in the world. And we have longed for the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will finally execute judgment and justice on this planet. And in Isaiah chapter 9, did I tell you what chapter? Y'all ain't mind readers? What's up? Isaiah chapter... Did I tell you Isaiah? Okay. Isaiah chapter 9, and look at verse 6, and you'll recognize it right off because this is our Christmas card, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Did that happen in his first coming, y'all? Did he set up the kingdom and... Did he rule and reign in this planet? Was the government on his shoulder at that point? No. He, it's gonna happen though. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. Watch this now. And to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And I love this last line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And what most people don't realize is both the first and second coming are what are being spelled out in verses 6 and 7. He did not establish the kingdom and he did not execute his justice when he came the first time. God is saying, though, you can guarantee it is going to happen, though. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. And and turn over to the next book, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23. Jeremiah, chapter 23. Verse 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous, capital B, branch, and a capital K, king, shall reign and prosper, watch this now, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And now listen, the reason that this is the greatest event that we're talking about here in Revelation 19 is this is what he's talking about in Revelation 19. It's the time when he finally executes his judgment and his justice on the earth. Now go back to Revelation 19. And look at verse 3. And again they said, Alleluia! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. That is of the great whore. That is of the, the governmental political system of this world that was represented in chapter 18. The religious system and all of the false religious systems of the world wrapped up into one in Revelation chapter 17. He says, her smoke raises up forever and ever and our response to it is, Alleluia. Praise the Lord. In verse 4, again, man, we fall on our face. Amen. Amen. Praise 
the Lord. And I'm just asking you this morning, where are the people on this planet right now who are going to be saying, yes, amen, then? Do you, do you understand those people that we're seeing here, the, the church there? Those are people that have had something burning in them for a long time. We fall on our face. And, and, and he talks about the four and twenty elders. There's all the Old Testament saints, and evidently they don't. It's us. We got the full picture, man. We got the full revelation of God in our hands, and because of that... In every child of God, there's something that burns inside for His kingdom to come and for that time when He will execute justice on this planet. Do you have that burning inside of you today? For Him to get the glory that He deserves? And, and I just got to tell you, you know, I'm studying this thing out and... You know, I, I I write every every phrase out individually on this thing, and I spend hours meditating on each one of these phrases and cross-referencing and all of it. And and I looked at verse two. Would you would you look at it with me? And and I'm I'm just I'm just meditating on this little phrase right here, right at the beginning. For true and righteous are His judgments. Do you understand everything that God does when He makes a judgment? Number one, it is true. Number two, it is righteous. And I just had to think about my judgments. Had to think about our judgments. You know what, y'all? Most of the time, our judgments are not true. Now, you would never convince us of that. Because it's us thinking it. And you know what? We could see this in everybody else. Oh, we know. Yes, everybody is human and they could make some major mistakes and not everybody else's judgment is true. But every time we make a judgment, we think it's true. But boy, do you know how difficult it actually is to make a true judgment on anything? You know why it's so difficult? Because we don't know all the facts. You see, God knows all of the facts. And when He makes a judgment, His judgments are true. And you see, a lot of times when we get, listen to it, facts... A lot of times they come in the form of gossip. They come tainted by somebody else who has already worked through something. The way they translate that to us sounds like truth, but and we don't really understand that they have already made a judgment and they're passing that judgment on to us. And so we're looking at this situation and we don't have all the facts. And you know what? Our emotions play into everything. Our background plays into everything. Even our gifts play into it, man. 
we got to be real careful when we make judgments, y'all, to make sure that they are according to truth. And God says in John 17, 17, Thy word is truth. Listen, before you make a judgment on something, slow it way, 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 way down. Remember, you don't have all of the facts. So you better make sure that you make a biblical judgment on this thing and that you're dealing with everything according to truth. And you know what else is I'm looking at that thing? I'm looking at it and saying, true and righteous are his judgments. You know what? Even when we do have enough of the facts to really make a true judgment, you know what? Most of the time when we have a true judgment, our judgment isn't what? It isn't righteous. Because what we do with it is we begin to want to avenge ourselves, which is further on in verse 2. And and you know what makes it so unrighteous, y'all? It's not what we say, though that makes it unrighteous. It's not what we do. Though that makes it unrighteous, you know what really makes it unrighteous? Is we become a thief. We do. We become a thief. You know why? We take something that doesn't belong to us. And what makes it so unrighteous is we take what doesn't belong to us. We steal it from God. Because he says in Romans 12, 15, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And when we make judgments, and we see ourselves as the jury and the executioner on this thing, you know what we just did? We became very unrighteous because we stole what belongs to God and God alone. Humble yourself and realize we're all made of the same stuff. We're all prone to making some major errors. Now, so what does this mean then, Pastor? Should we not make judgments? Do you understand we have to? Well, what about when Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged? I mean, we're not supposed to judge, are we? Well, we have to make some judgments because he goes on. In just several verses later there in Matthew chapter 7, he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. How do you do that if you've not determined what swine is? You've got to make a judgment, okay? Just make sure that you don't make it emotional. Make sure that you don't make it based on gossip. Make sure that you don't do it because of the influence of your background and or some situation that's very similar to that, and so you run it all out to make that one like that so that you can make your judgment and you become the executioner on that thing. No, we, we've got to make judgments. We've just got to make sure, y'all, that we make it according to the Word of God, and we've got to be make judgments without being judgmental, without having it all figured out. Yep. Got you, buddy. You're all figured out. You fit right here in this box because, you know what? I've seen people just like that. You're all alike. And we've got everybody all figured out. 
And he tells us what to do. In First Peter chapter 2, in fact, why don't, let me take you over here to this one. First Peter chapter 2. Just go back to your left just a, a little bit there. First Peter 2. Look at verse 20. He says, For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? I mean, if you're just, you know, a jerk and you've messed up a, a bunch of stuff and somebody gets in your face over that and you're patient about it, don't think too highly of yourself for that. You deserved it, okay? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. He likes that a lot. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. In other words, no, what did he do wrong to deserve all the suffering that he went through? And you see the thing that makes it so acceptable is you look a whole lot like his son. When you go through things and you didn't deserve to suffer and you do. He says, leaving for us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. And we look at that and we say, oh my goodness, how in the world did he do that? Because I'm just telling you, when somebody gets in my face and I haven't done anything wrong, I'm ready to... How in the world did he do that? Watch it. He committed himself to him that judgeth how? Righteously. Now listen, when you're in a situation... And you're forced to make a judgment because, man, it's, it's coming on you. You know what you do? Nothing. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. What did he do? He said, Father, you judge it because you judge righteously. And he says, Christ has given us an example that we should follow in his steps. What do you do when you really... You know what you do? You back way, way off. And you say, God, I know for me to make a judgment right now, I'm going to do something that's unrighteous. And so what I'm doing, I'm getting my hands off, and I'm putting it in your court, and God, you do with it whatever you want to do. And you know what that makes you? Free. Most believers on this planet are not free because they're bottled up with bitterness. And we justify it because they did that to us. I didn't deserve it. That's what this passage is about. Commit the judgment of that thing to him that judges righteously, and you're free. And you go on. But you know what? If you want to judge in it, and this is what I believe, if you want to judge in it, I think God says, go ahead. And he steps back. You give it to him, and he says, I, and he deals with it. Now, what would you rather have, y'all? 
be bottled up with bitterness and make you a jerk out of yourself and lose your testimony or be a free person, give it to God, and if God never does a thing, you know what? He's going to judge righteously. Maybe you didn't know all the facts. Maybe you didn't really see it the way that God saw it. But you're free nonetheless. Don't steal what belongs to God and God alone. But, buddy, we're going to praise Him then. Because in that day, there is no unrighteousness that He has not delivered on. His justice will be fully executed. So, we'll, we'll praise Him because His salvation has been fully exemplified. His justice has been fully executed. And then thirdly, let us see, we'll praise Him because His sovereignty has Our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. He says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Here it comes again. Hallelujah! And you can't do it justice because how, look at verse 6 again. How in the world? Does one puny little voice up here sound like a great multitude or the voice of many waters or the voice of mighty thunderings? But John said, oh my goodness, I heard this, 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 this massive voice crying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And, and, and here's the deal. We've been praising since verse 1, man. And, and then we fall on our face as we see the, ex, the judgment and justice executed. And I mean, we're, it's loud up there, y'all. I mean, we are praising God. And then there's a voice that comes out of the throne. I mean, now it's all the praising's really been, I mean, it's been going on. It's loud. And then the voice comes out of the throne and says, Go for it, y'all! Praise Him! Praise Him! And then it's just like almost like a cheerleader. Boom! I mean, here it comes. This great voice. This, like this, he says, like the sound of, of many waters, like a, a trillion Niagara Falls falling down. And it's like thundering and it's saying, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And do you realize again that since Adam fell in the garden, all over this earth, he has never as the Lord God omnipotent, the all-powerful God, though He could have at any time, He's never taken that place. And we finally see Him taking that place. And we are just so incredibly stoked, we, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Here it is, man. I mean, there's some major praising that's, that's going on here. So... It's the event to which all of God's Word is pointing. It's the event for which all of God's people are praying. Number three, it's the event at which all of God's host will be praising. And then number four, it is the event for which all of God's church has been preparing. It's the event for which all of God's church 
has been preparing. Would you look at verse 7? Here's the voice again. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. Do you know who the Lamb's wife is, y'all? It's all of the people in this room who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior today. And what he says here is that when this takes place, we will have made ourselves ready. Now now listen, that most certainly is going to be because the judgment seat of Christ will have taken place by this point. Okay. And we will, you know, all of the dross has been removed at that point. The wood, hay, and stubble is out of the way, and there's been a refining process. And certainly, we have made ourselves ready because of the work that God had done through that. But all of God's people through the century, all of the people who comprise the church have understood who they are. We are the bride of Christ, y'all. And we need to make ourselves ready for this event. Now, how do we do that? What's going to make us ready? And what is just so cool about the Bible? The Bible tells us, now listen, what it tells us is the way that we have the Scripture revealed to us is by comparing things spiritual with things spiritual. Okay? Now, don't turn there yet, but there is a book back in the Old Testament where there is a Gentile bride. She happens to be from a cursed race. And what happens is there is a family that's in Bethlehem, and a famine comes into the land, and this family, comprised of a mom and a dad, Naomi and Elimelech, They have two sons, and rather than stay in the place of blessing, which is what Bethlehem is, the house of bread, what they did is they moved out of the place of blessing and in their flesh began to move out of the place of provision. They have two sons. They come into the cursed place of Moab, and these two sons take Moabite daughters or or, or, uh, Moabite women to be their wife. And what happens is first the dad dies, Elimelech, and then the two sons die, leaving three widows. And Naomi is the mother-in-law, and she's going back to Bethlehem. She says to the two daughters, listen, you guys are young, why don't you just stay here, find your husband, live happily ever after. Orpah, one of the sisters, says, hey, sounds like a good deal. She goes and does it. The other one, Ruth, says, oh no, Uh uh-uh. Your God is my God. And I'm going to where he is because I'm getting out of this cursed place. And she turns from her family, she turns from her gods, and she turns to Jehovah God, comes into the place of blessing. She goes to work in a field. She doesn't understand the Old Testament scripture about the principle of the kinsman redeemer, but she happens to end up in the field of a relative of her dead husband's. And she's out there just laboring because, man, they're they're poor. Here comes the kinsman redeemer, the one that has the potential of changing her life. And he walks out to the field one day, and he's just watching the workers out there. And he sees Ruth out there. 
and he says to the workers, Homa, Homa, Homa. Whose damsel is this? Who's that babe over there? And they said, oh, you know what? She's just a cursed Moabite, man. You don't want nothing to do with her. And he couldn't help it. He lavished his love upon her. And the end of the story is he takes her out of the harvest field, this Jewish kinsman redeemer from the city of Bethlehem. He takes her out of the harvest field to become his Gentile bride. And if you want just a little explanation, all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ have got a Jewish kinsman redeemer from the city of Bethlehem who in all of our cursedness looked upon us and couldn't help himself. He loved us in spite of our sin, took that sin, and is going to call us real soon out of his harvest field to make us his bride. Okay, other than that, there's no similarities in the the story of Ruth, okay? So what's happening in Ruth chapter 3 is Naomi is figured out that Boaz is madly in love with her daughter-in-law. And so what she does is she begins to give Ruth instruction for here is how you need to prepare yourself for this wedding. Okay? So without having to do biblical gymnastics, you know what we're doing? We're going to go to a place to where God is just spelling out for us. Here as a Gentile bride in the last days of the harvest, here's how you prepare yourself for the wedding. Okay? So in verse... Well, you're not even there yet. I'm about to preach this thing. Go, Go to Ruth. I'm in this major wrestling match right now. Um, as you can see, I planned one or two cross-references um, in this, this little section here. And I'm, I'm looking at the hour and realizing I'm going to have to chump this all out and we're going to miss the real application to us. Next Sunday is Father's Day which would be a good time for us to talk to all the fathers about being a bride. Amen, ladies? So I'm counting on you ladies to get your husband here next week to find out about this thing of being a bride. But now, but time out. Please don't pack up on me, okay? Please don't pack up. Just listen for just a sec. What we find in Revelation chapter 19 is us. Praising God. Just praising God because of His salvation. Praising God because He is just. Praising God because He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. Can I just ask you something? Would it be characteristic of your life that you praise God because of who He is? You know, I go back in this this church... Let's go back about 12 years or so ago. And one of the buttons that God was saying to us as a church was, 
Do you realize that what this whole Christian life thing is is all about worshiping me? Because you know what we used to do in here? We used to come sing songs about God, pass notes, disconnected from anything that's going on in heaven. And, and all of a sudden, God began to show us that one of the reasons we assemble together is, like we talked about earlier, is God seeking true worshipers. And we began to talk about that. And, and God began to do some things in our hearts, and it led us not to just have cutesy little times in here where we push warm, fuzzy buttons and, and try to get everyone to feel like they're worshiping God. What we began to talk about is that our whole life is a worship service. And every day of our life when we spend time with God, it's all about coming before Him and loving Him and worshiping Him and praising Him. It's not giving Him the grocery list of all the stuff that we want Him to do to make our life cute. It's all about praise. And, and, and when you see us in heaven, man, that's what we're all about. And I'm just asking you this morning, is that what you're all about? I mean, would Jesus say today that what is the characterization of your life is that right there, pointing to you, that's a true worshiper. Oh, my. With all that is within them every single day. I'm sitting on the throne of their life. I've established my kingdom in them. They are praising me for all they're worth. Is that you? Is that characteristic of your life? And now listen. If it isn't, you've got all that you need today in today's message. You don't need verse 7. It'll help you a bunch. You'll get it. But for us to just kind of bypass all of that and, and just m move on and, well, I, I guess it, we're going to finish it. No. I think today, I think we've covered all the ground that we need to. Is your life characterized as by a life of worship? Or would God say your life is characterized by being judgmental? You think you got it all figured out. Nobody, nobody sees it quite as clearly as I see it. What this passage ought to do is just humble all of us before our Savior, our just, omnipotent God. And I want to ask you to do that today. Would you bow your heads with me right now? And would you just still your heart right now before Him? You know what? Some of us have gotten so much truth that we haven't begun to do the right thing with it. You know what, guys? Christianity 101 is, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love 
one for another. Would, would you please listen to me? Don't fall asleep, please. He did not say, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you've got everybody on this planet figured out and pigeonholed. Nope. When you just love one another. Is that characteristic of your life? Are you in love with your brothers and sisters? Are you so in love with God you long for His kingdom to come? You're groaning to be released from this body. Is, is that what's characteristic of your life? And listen, if it isn't, oh my goodness, man. What do you think it would take for you to turn a corner in your life to begin to move in, in that direction, in those things that we see that will be characteristic of us in the very near future, being characteristic of us now. And why don't you just spend some time right now just talking to God about your heart, about where you are right now, and, and why you do that. And just zone me out for just a second. And, and let me talk to some of you that are here today that have never come to the place in your life where you have come to Jesus Christ and by faith called on Him alone, apart from anything else that you're trusting. I mean, your church, including this one, your baptism, including a baptism that maybe you had in this church, your catechism, your good works, your good heart, whatever it would be, have you ever come to Jesus Christ and confessed that you are a sinner before Him, helpless, hopeless, without what He did through His death, burial, and resurrection? And have you called upon Him to be your Savior and your Lord, to sit on the throne of your life? Has, has that time ever come? And for those of you that are here today that have never come to that place, I, I, want, I want to tell you what to do. Okay, Our service is about to be concluded. Our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room, up, up here at the front, we're on the, the side doors. They're going to position them, themselves there as we're being dismissed. And if today God is speaking to your heart about your need to receive Him, would you please come to one of these men and, and, and talk to them? Say, I, listen, I, I, I'd like to talk with someone today. No one's going to coerce you. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady that will talk with you. But we'll take you to a private counseling room just, just beyond the, these doors here. And, and seek from the Bible to answer whatever questions you may have. But if God is speaking to your heart today, I urge you, respond to what God is saying to you. The Bible says, today if you'll hear His voice, harden not your heart. I'm asking you, today have you heard His voice? And please don't harden your heart. Oh Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to apply the things that we have seen from, from your word this morning. Oh Lord, we do long for that day when we are able to come into your presence and, and glorify you in the fullness of your glory and giving you the, the, the glory that is due your name. Oh, Lord, would you please help the people of this church 
that know so many things about the events of these last days, would you translate that information into a longing inside of us for your kingdom to come that translates itself into you sitting on the throne of our hearts receiving the glory that you deserve now? May it translate itself into groaning and travailing inside of us, longing for the day when these bodies are redeemed. So Lord, would you, would you please do these things in us? And, and Lord, would you, would you please speak to the hearts of people that are here today that maybe don't fully understand everything that they heard, but they understand enough to know that they're a sinner. And know enough that you have paid a price to bring them back into that relationship. And so, Lord, I pray that based on the information that they understand today, that by your Spirit and by you, Father, and your working through your Spirit, you would draw these people to yourself today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.